This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, welcome to the future of finance, the Motive Labs podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. I have the enormous privilege to be sat today in Mansion House with Alderman Peter Eslin, the Right Honourable the Lord Mayor. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Firstly, an enormous thanks. It's a slightly surreal setup we've got here in what I think is a very ornate dining room, and we've attached the technology to a very old-looking table, which I can assure you is not going to be damaged. But thank you. And it's a busy week, I know, so we're going to keep this punchy and give our listeners what they want. The City of London Corporation is one of the oldest corporations in the world, I believe. And it's pretty complex. I've had the privilege of getting to know it over the last few years. It's still a bit mysterious to me. Perhaps you can explain a little bit about the City of London Corporation, the mayoralty role, and demystify it for some of our listeners. Well, firstly, delight to be here and thanks for setting this up. The quick story, really, if we go back to the 11th century, the City of London was then booming and we realised that we needed to create an infrastructure to support that economic growth. So we created the role of a mayor. So we elected that. And that was very much with the support of what were then the trades of the city. So these were the the historic trades of carpenters, of mercers, so goods and services. And these grew up. And so at the heart of the mayoralty, really over 830 years, has been, on the first hand, this sense of how do we develop economic capability. And whilst that's migrated from the trades of the goldsmiths and the butchers and the, and the candlestick makers now today to you know, accountants and architects and bankers, to asset managers, to insurers, fundamentally at the heart of the mayoralty is creating economic growth. But over the centuries, one of the successes of London has been its increased diversity. It's been the home to international trade. We've welcomed talent from all over the world. So we have about 40% of the people who work in the city are from international origin. And we embrace that. We encourage it. As London's continued to develop, we have, through those centuries, created standards. So standards have been at the hallmark of what we promote. And we now see that professionally through our financial regulators. But developing skills to support that has also been part of how we've developed the culture. So I call them the four S's, standards, skills, social responsibility, so that we take that economic growth and we look at investing that socially. But then finally, stewardship. So very much the mayoralty over 830 years, and as you say, it's probably the oldest in the world, is very much around supporting that. And that's really what the job of the Lord Mayor is today, very much internationally and domestically promoting trade supporting that through skills and social endeavours like the Lord Mayor's Appeal and really seeking to leave the city in a better place than you found it. Thanks. That's super succinct. I've learned a lot. Um, from the 11th century through to the four S's, standard skills, social responsibility and stewardship. Just hearing that makes it so clear to me why you are in the position you're in, having looked through your biography. From PwC to Salomon to City to Barclays and almost all in roles of fiscal responsibility, CFO roles, which makes a great deal of sense. And through that career, I'm sure you've seen many highs and lows. In fact, the global financial crisis 
because you were in a very important position in a UK bank, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've seen in your career, how that landscape has shifted and what you think the opportunity today is? So, look, I've largely spent my career in the city, although I've worked in Asia, in Singapore and Hong Kong. I've lived in the US as well. And so I've got a global perspective, but I always come back to London, whether it's the highs of, of Big Bang whether it's pioneering of financial technology, you know, whether it's contactless, these sorts of things have really been at the hallmark of innovation. But we haven't always got it right. And I think you know, the financial crisis of 2008, whilst arguably was a global crisis, I mean, there are elements of it here that clearly we're not proud of. And you get rotten apples and you need to tackle that. And so our judicial process is critical in that regard. But you know, the reality is there's only ever two outcomes in life. You either succeed or you learn. And in the case of learning from the financial crisis, you know, we are having to rebuild trust with society. But that is coming through through innovation. And I think if we look at the way financial services has shifted, even in that 10-year period since the crisis, the highs today of the scale of our innovation, not just in fintech, but also in the creative and media industries, in health and life sciences, we're seeing that now in cyber. I mean, these are huge, huge success stories where London and the UK as a whole are seen as global leaders. So to my mind, it's a question of celebrating the successes, but learning from the mistakes, because we will make mistakes, we take risk, and we've got to learn from that. You know, the secret is not making the same mistake twice. Absolutely. And I love that as a snapshot, succeed or learn. I think some of the work the FCA have done has been a real showcase of that philosophy. Things like Project Innovate, the FCA Sandbox, working with the industry with that right touch regulation, not light touch, not too heavy, has been really, really critical. It's a big week in London this week. I'll let you tell everyone what's happening. But as an addendum to that part, which financial technology hubs do you think are going to be leading the financial services industry globally in the coming years? Well, it is a big week, isn't it? I mean, it's London Tech Week. We've probably got about 50,000 people coming into London to, to look at what really the UK, but actually globally, what there is to offer. But why do they come to London? Partly because London, as I said, is that diverse culture. And I've been recently to San Francisco. I've been to Singapore. I've been to China, several cities in China. And whilst these are some of the great cities around the world, London is a unique city in many ways because of its time zone, because of its, as I said, history, its rule of law, its language, but its culture and its diversity. And I think that's what makes London such a key city. And arguably, that's now being reflected across the UK as we see some of those same attributes reflected in Cambridge, in Leeds, Mm -hmm. in Glasgow. So to my mind, innovation occurs where you bring together these components. You have to have the culture that stimulates that innovation. You have to have people close together, whether it's the capital, the talent, the physical ability to bring ideas together. And I think London has that. I mean, we see it springing up, whether it's in Old Street, in Shoreditch. To me, in a sense, I'm a bit excited. I do. I think it's something to celebrate and to be proud of. We launched UK InsureTech yesterday formally as a sort of another component of our network of innovation. And these are things to celebrate because although there are examples around the world, People and capital are coming to the UK in order to access that innovation. And that's really what I think we want to, or I want to continue to promote, you know, whether it's the 80,000 people in fintech, record levels of capital coming into to the industry. These are things to promote, but also to say, look, we're open. We're open to business and we're open to talent if you want to access that here in London or the UK. 
We've always been good as the UK at being a convening force. And you mentioned a great initiative that was launched this week. Another one was the Fintech Alliance that was launched this week. Another great convening force around a digital platform, bringing together a lot of the other initiatives. You mentioned people and you mentioned capital. People and talent is something that I know we're both very passionate about. It's also the only area I think that will become non-commoditized. How can we really celebrate people's individuality? their EQ and how can we allow that to work hand in hand with technology. And then on the capital, the UK really is becoming a destination for investment dollars or sterling. A number of the statistics are really supporting that growth. You're working across a number of different initiatives to explore ways in which we can create our own Sandhill Road, our own version of what's happened in the Valley in the US. Can you tell us a little bit more about that initiative? I think the starting point is really looking at the fundamentals in the first place. So, I mean, London as a capital city, as a global financial hub, if not the leading global financial hub, had the component pieces in terms of a huge asset management industry, a huge banking industry, a huge insurance industry, together with professional services. So we start with a basis of strength in the sense that that has grown up over centuries. And it stayed here because of all these other fundamentals of the rule of law, et cetera, et cetera, that we we touched on. Mm. But what then sprang out of that was this innovation. It was our research capabilities from our universities, was sort of the ingenuity with people coming together and looking at challenges, both in the big corporates, but also standalone. And that has been stimulated in part through government. I mean, government has, I think, recognised that policies are needed. So whether it's investment policies around things like EIS and VCT, mm-hmm. but also encouraging, and the regulator, as you say, has been very positive through the sandbox, encouraging different forms of financing. We've seen that coming through with peer-to-peer capital raising, etc., So I think we should recognize where we're doing very, very well, which is in what I would call the startup capital. We do very, very well, I think, as we move through Series A upwards and very much through AIM on the stock exchange Mm -hmm. there, again, both from a domestic point of view and from an international perspective. Where I think we've got work to do, and you and I have sort of had some of this conversation, is very much smoothing out that journey and particularly attracting more VCs and more intervention, capital intervention, in that late stage financing before you're really getting into the proven technologies in Series A. And that's partly a scale issue. It's partly a communication issue. I think the work that Motive are doing on a survey to really get a sense and listen and to respond to that. So there's work to do. I don't think there's any reason to be complacent. I think we've got some great fundamentals. You know, we do, what, a thousand startups a year? You know, we've got the largest number of unicorns outside of China and the US, more than the rest of Europe put together. I mean, these are great statistics. But actually, is there more we could do? Yes, there is. And I think we just need to close some of the loops in that financing journey as we scale up. I couldn't agree with you more. The smoothing out of the funding gap is critical. It's part of the reason why Motive set up between New York and London. And you're right, the VC survey that we've done and report that will be written has gone out to ask the VCs, what can we do better in the UK to attract you over here? But we're already seeing the reward, I think, from being open-minded. And we've had a number of other firms, Aqualine, have moved over here. QED, General Atlantic have really bolstered their UK presence. And they're doing it because we have a great pool of talent. We're a springboard to other parts of the world that the US isn't. And we listen. I think if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I think we've seen record levels of capital even in the first five months of this year. I know it's still measured in dollars, but I think 5.8 billion of new capital going into innovation funds. I mean, the capital supply is coming in 
but it is, as you say, it's smoothing it out across mm-hmm. the whole spectrum rather than simply just into the startups, but also ensuring that we're getting more of that coming through and scaling up. I think we have got work to do to do that. Absolutely. There's this sort of funny ringing sound in the background. I don't know if the speakers will pick it up. It makes me feel like we're maybe in the 17th century. Well, you are in a 17th or 18th century building, you know, so whether there are any ghosts, I don't know. But Something's talking to us. Yeah, exactly. We always ask questions on talent. We touched on talent a little bit already. We're facing this rate of change. I think John Thompson, the chairman of Microsoft, actually on one of our podcasts said it best that never will the world be this slow again, Mm. which is a terrifying thought because I can barely keep up as as it is. And a lot of that change is being brought around by technology. You've done a huge amount of work in digital skills. It's one of your merity themes this year, I believe. And you're launching the UK Coalition of Digital Intelligence, which will be an internationally recognized framework for digital skills with the support of the OECD and of the World Economic Forum. Can you tell us a little bit about this initiative and why you believe that digital skills underpin our future? So my mayoral program is Shaping Tomorrow's City Today. And the reason I came up with that is multi-stranded. I mean, firstly, I think we do need to recognise and promote the innovation and technology that is occurring and shaping our future and be proud of that and help to continue to shape it, to shape the future rather than simply just have the future shaped for us. But underpinning the scale of that innovation are the digital skills, both in terms of the digital skills or the skills and the talent that we need to help drive that innovation, but also the skills that we need in society to ensure that we're taking everybody with us so that they can benefit from that technology and innovation that's occurring. And so as we focused historically in the UK on things like financial inclusion, we're very much focusing on digital inclusion. To my mind, as I look at it today, There is this huge level of innovation, not only in the technology, but also in the provision of skills. Mm -hmm. But it's quite fragmented. And in fact, it's heavily fragmented. I mean, there are two or three hundred different skills initiatives if you just even scratch the surface. So one of the aims, we've got a number of businesses together already, and we're continuing to build this coalition for digital intelligence. That's its working title. That's not obviously glitzy enough. That's not really going to resonate with the marketplace, but it's certainly our working title in terms of how we are coming together to say, how can we motivate those that are not digitally enabled? So there's nearly 11.9 million people in this country who don't have a full set of skills around being able to get online, to send communications, to to sort of access photos or or make payments or, or any other forms of transaction. So if we're not careful, whilst we continue to grow and grow rapidly, as you say, it's the period of change that's taking place is so fast nowadays, but we risk leaving people behind. So the digital skills agenda that we're promoting around the Coalition for Digital Intelligence, but also looking at how we not only motivate people, but how we point people to where there are opportunities for them to embrace these skills. So to my mind, that's a really important area to focus on. And you know, I'm delighted whether it's with Lloyds Bank and BT and Accenture and Nominet. I mean, these are all the businesses and government. So the digital skills mm-hmm. partnership. But it is a big agenda and it's one that we shouldn't shy away from because otherwise it will get ahead of us. There are two sides to that coin. I mean, technology is incredibly powerful and it can really level the playing field, close wealth gaps and and do amazing stuff for the UK. On the flip side, technology and these things are mobile phones are creating more anxiety than ever before. And mental health is becoming an increasingly important topic, both at boardroom level and at classroom level. The This Is Me campaign is something I'm really keen to touch upon. I mean, it's, it's already been enormous 
enormously successful. You've touched over a million employees, worked with over 500 firms. And if you get down to the raw basics of it, one in four people are affected by some form of mental health. Hmm. That's a very, very, very high number. That's like 20 million people approximately in the hmm. UK that suffer from it. It's an epidemic and hmm. it's potentially going to get worse if we don't address it and recognize it now. Can you tell us a little bit about what the campaign aims to achieve and how it's doing? Yeah, I mean, if I can take one step back, I mean, as Lord Mayor and together with my predecessor and my successor, we have a Lord Mayor's appeal. And we felt that rather than do something just on an annual basis, that we would all come together to look at something more strategic. So we created an appeal that would be multi-year faceted, focusing on four elements, creating a fairer London, an inclusive London, a skilled London and a healthier London. And underpinning that, we were very fortunate through predecessor Lord Mayors to pick up on some earlier ideas. So under the fairness, we promote City Giving Day, which is an annual opportunity for employees within the city businesses, nearly 400 businesses involved in that, in showing what they do to support the community. So actually giving some highlight to some great work. In the inclusivity, the power of diversity, which we've now called power of inclusion. Through an initiative that Barclays launched uh, three or four years ago called This Is Me, they did this internally, but they gave it up and said, look, this is potentially so good, would you like to pick it up? And, and what it simply was, was something that had worked for them as a business in allowing employees to share stories of their own mental health agenda. In the same way we come in and say, well, I've got a cold today or I've broken my leg. Well, actually, why can't we talk about the fact that actually I'm feeling really depressed or I've got anorexia or, you know, something that impacts our mental health? And so we said, well, could we help sort of promote this across the city? So through the Lord Mayor's Appeal, with Barclays' support, we ended up taking this on board, the Green Ribbon Campaign. And as you say, I mean, you know, we've had a huge amount, over 600 businesses, I think five or 600 businesses, mm -hmm. very much this year. And it's built year after year. And it very much is getting at the heart of being open about it, talking about mental health in the same way we talk about physical health and ending that stigma that's all too often associated with it in a way that is just encouraging people to be more open. And I don't know about you, but I do believe in that adage that a problem shared is a problem halved. And it's the same with mental health agendas. Now, whether any of that is truly stimulated by the digital world, I genuinely don't know. I mean, I think the speed of change in the digitization of our industries and smartphones and everything else... You know, should you look at your smartphone before you go to bed? I don't know. All right. I mean, I don't think the longevity analysis is really there yet. But I do think that we are seeing more or at least we're more aware of levels of mental health issue. And you're absolutely right. So one of the charity partners we support is Place to Be. And they're working with obviously schools. And through the Lord Mayor's Appeal, we've got 180 councillors into 180 schools around London. Because obviously tackling this at an early stage in schools is really important. So as part of that agenda, it's not only working with business and looking at mental health in the workplace, but it's working with charity partners. And of course, the Royal Foundation have done a great job mm -hmm. with, with Heads Together. And this is just another piece of the jigsaw. It's something we're really proud of because actually it really has shown a collaboration of hundreds of, in fact, thousands of people who've been wearing the green ribbon as part of Mental Health Week. It's what I call the soft side, but a really important side of the mayoralty in encouraging these agendas. 
and skills is another one. So, uh, you know, these are really important agendas for us to promote alongside economic growth. Thank you, Peter. And it, it's a very, very important topic and I know dear to, to many of our, our listeners. So I'm very pleased we covered it. Back to some of the, the more reflective stuff and, and some of the stuff that our, our listeners can glean from such an inspirational character. What are some of the best lessons that you've learned throughout your career? And what advice could you give the future leaders that are listening? Two things, I think, if I may. One is we've all got passions. And I think getting to understand yourself, and it can take place at different stages in one's life, but I think really, really going after your passion, things that you enjoy doing, you're passionate about, will lead to success. It almost becomes a beacon for other people to come together with you, whether it's passions around ideas that you have, things that you want to pursue. And we're seeing that in spades at the moment with the sustainable development goals and young people coming together to look at climate change or or how we deal with poverty or, or education. So I think where you've got passion, seek to try and follow your passion. But secondly, take risk, because I think there is a A sense in society, and in some ways the regulator plays a a really challenging role in this regard as well. If we don't take risk, we don't develop, we don't enhance ourselves, we don't learn. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. The secret is not making that mistake twice and therefore learning from it. I have a personal adage, which is ask for forgiveness, not permission, but consult. I mean, at the end of the day, and the bigger the scale of what you're dealing with, consult and reflect on it. I mean, I'm not suggesting anybody does things that are illegal. I'm just saying take some risk. And certainly when uh, I had the opportunity to go and work in Asia, I was thinking, how the hell am I going to get my wife on board to this? And the trouble is, she's a psychologist. So I walked through the front door and she immediately said, what's wrong? I said, oh, nothing's wrong. She said, well, do you need a gin and tonic? So I said, well, yeah, I'll go on, I'll have a gin and tonic. Anyway, I said, I've got this opportunity to go and work in Hong Kong. What do you think? And she said, well, do you want to do it? And I said, yeah, I mean, I really do. I think it'd be exciting, this, that, and the other. And she just walked out of the room. And I thought, right, I've blown it. She came back five minutes later, she had a sheet of paper and she said, right, these are the conditions. I need my mother in to be able to come out twice a year. She made me sign that sheet of paper and she was up for it. So my point is you take a bit of risk, all right? And actually it all worked out very well. To my mind, you know, you push yourself. You've got to push yourself, but you've got to do it in your own way. And then pick up that feedback from other people. Don't be afraid of saying, how well did I do? We don't always like the feedback, yeah, but if yeah. you don't get it, you don't learn. Couldn't agree more. The overriding feeling I have is that I really hope my wife doesn't listen to this podcast and pick up <laughs> negotiating <laughs> tactics because, yeah, I don't think I'll benefit from that. Follow your passions and take risk. I think two pieces of great advice, and I can think about various areas of my career where that's worked. One of my passions is wine, and I don't think I'm going to combine that with the taking risk part, but very sound advice. Thank you. You're the 691st Lord Mayor and you're just over halfway through your tenure, still looking and feeling energetic and certainly looking like you're enjoying it. But you're an incredibly busy person. This week is just another week. It's, it's no busier than any other and you're traveling to quite literally hundreds of places through the year. How do you fit so much into your schedule and what daily habits? You and I, I think, have spoken before about some of your routines. How do you do it? So first and foremost, uh, I've got a great team here at Mansion House. I mean, I really have. And in terms of the mechanics, I mean, today I think I've got about 16 engagements. As just a particular day. It happens to be a busy day. But, but you're right. I mean, it is a question of having a great team around you. But secondly, planning ahead. 
ahead. I mean, in practice, in terms of my mayoralty, I've been planning this largely for two to three years. I mean, obviously, you fine tune it as you get closer and closer. But in terms of the international engagements, in terms of the drive towards digital skills, the focus around the events that we've been doing for the Lord Mayor's Appeal and, and the fundraising. I mean, these are all things that take ages to plan. So again, part of it's in the planning. But you know, it's staying focused. And so, you know, get up early every morning. I mean, it's either Pilates or on the cross trainer. I only give myself one day a week where I, I lie in bed until seven. Otherwise, it's up before the crack of dawn. Get on with it. And that is stimulating. I mean, the reality is I haven't always done that. If you'd asked me that a few years ago, I mean, I would go walking and things like that. But I've found it so beneficial to do it virtually, you know, every day. When I'm abroad and traveling, that gets more challenging, particularly if you've had four hours sleep on an overnight flight. It does get challenging. And I notice it when I get back mm. if I haven't been doing a workout. Secondly, I mean, I do enjoy wine as well. Mm -hmm. So that is my downfall. So I have to be really, and chocolate. So I have to be really careful about what I eat. So I'm about a kilo down from when I started kilo. being Lord Good Mayor. Work. Even though I generally have three meals a day, lunch, breakfast. And in fact, last week I had two dinners. I went from one dinner with Liam Fox, the Secretary of State, into another dinner with about 50 Japanese clients. And it was sort of, you know, a bit of two timing. So I generally not eat too much, but I'm addicted to chocolate. So I limit myself to one piece of chocolate at the end of my speaking engagements in the evening. Together with, I have one glass of wine during the meal. And then if I'm feeling good or the wine's very good, I have a glass of red wine after I finish my speech. Because red wine and uh, chocolate, they stick to your throat. So they're not good for when you're doing speeches. Good tip. Amazing. I've got visions of you on cross trainer and doing Pilates in Mansion House in the morning, which isn't what I expected to walk away with. Well, it's very good. So you use digital technology. So I have my big iPad when I'm yeah. on my cross trainer. So I'm either reading the Financial Times or reading the Times or reading all my emails. And of course, it whiles away the time. So, you know, all you need okay. to realize is that... <laughs> Awesome. Technology can be a help. Thinner and more knowledgeable in one first swoop. We always ask our interviewees who some of their role models have been. I'm a big believer in mentorship and actually slowly becoming a believer in actually reverse mentorship where the young can teach the older generation something as well. Who have been some of your business role models through your career? That's a great question in the sense that when I was a head boy, actually, I had the privilege of meeting the then Lord Mayor of London, Sir Kenneth Cork. And I was good at maths. I wasn't really any good at anything else. So he asked me, what did I want to do? And I said, well, I'm not really sure. I'm trying to get to university. I'm probably going to do economics. And he said, well, you know, what are you good at? And I said, I'm good at maths. And he said, well, why have you thought about a career in accountancy? The fact that he was an accountant. And I hadn't really thought about a career in accountancy, but I looked it up and I thought, well, that's quite a good idea. But he also said to me in response to the question when I said to him, well, how does one get your job? You're Lord Mayor of London. And he said, well, you have to be very successful in your career. But if it's something you want to do, then maybe one day you'll be Lord Mayor. You know, these things sort of sit in the back of your head. So he was certainly at the outset, in that sense, a role model of somebody who'd been successful in accountancy, had gone on to be Lord Mayor. But throughout my career, I think I've been very fortunate to work with some really good managers. And I've tried to take on apprentices and, and people like that. Today, I still connect with a number of those individuals who I've recruited and we share stories because you're absolutely right. In terms of mentoring them, they're as good at mentoring me as well. I mean, Liam Tootle, who I work with at the moment, a young kid who I met three or four or five years ago, together with BJ Malungi, they were trying to set up a sort of a, a super academy. Now he works with Brent Holman in Founders of the Future. And, you know, I get as much out of him as hopefully he gets out of me. So I do think building your networks and drawing on those networks, but also giving back to those networks are really important. And having a few beacons 
But again, be yourself. Don't be somebody else. Yeah. Draw on other people in terms of, of their advice and expertise. But ultimately, you've got to be yourself. You can't be somebody else. Mm -hmm. You've got to be you because otherwise you don't have that authenticity. Mm -hmm. You can learn from how other people speak and you know, learning to public speak and all these things. But you've got to work out how does it work for me? Where do I end up being good? And what have I got to improve on? Mm. But you can't replicate that directly. By all means, take advice, but be true to yourself. You touched on a really important point around networks and building networks. I think being or trying to be an enabler within your networks rather than taking from them really is the key to, to building effective networks. It's a two-way process. I think it was Winston Churchill, you know, I mean, it's giving and getting. I mean, at the end of the day, you're at times when you're in need and actually you're drawing on those networks. You're asking for help and asking for advice. Yeah. But if it's take, 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 then you become a taker. And actually people don't like that. Mm -hmm. So you've got to give back. So when things are going really well, give. I mean, you get crunch points when you're asked to give when you're at a real tough times. I mean, that can be challenging and you can't always do that. I work on the basis of, you know, if, if you put in, you will get back. Mm -hmm. They won't happen necessarily at the same time. And you don't put it in just because you think you're going to draw it back. You don't know when you're going to draw it back. To me, it's what we need more and more now in a cohesive society. It's to reflect the fact that you can't do things in isolation. You know, you need to work in teams, whether it's the Mansion House team here, or we've got a delegation from Singapore at the moment with the senior minister. And you know, we're looking at partnerships between the UK and Singapore. We're hosting the economic financial dialogue with China on Sunday and Monday. Whilst government will lead that, the city will seek to play a role in how we can develop business and continue to develop business with China. These are networks that you need to develop and build on. Again, I suppose a piece of advice for anybody listening would be, how do you develop your networks? And I personally use LinkedIn as my major network. But, you know, use whichever one you feel comfortable with. They are really an important source. And not just today. It's the fact that there are people you worked with or met or just helped out 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And they can come back and you can suddenly meet them again. It just creates new creativity. I would love to end it there, but I do have one more question. And we are in the midst of London Technology Week. So there's lots going on. And you have 15 more important meetings than this one to get going with. What do you think will be the most promising geographic region over the next 20 years? It is London Tech Week, by the way. It is London Tech Week. And you would say that, of course, you know, the UK and Europe more broadly. But I think the reality is one of to reflect on the fact that actually we are going to see huge economic growth in Asia. I mean, if we look at it, Asia inclusive of, of Indonesia, China, India, you've got well over half the world's population today. So we're going to see huge economic growth and huge development in Asia. But London and the UK are a critical component to that. We are today, anyway, the fifth largest economy. You know, maybe over time that will decline just purely by the factor of scale. But in terms of our influence, in terms of the rule of law, in terms of our language, in terms of our education, I mean, our second largest export to China is education. Mm. So the influence, and, and again, it comes back to networks. The UK has been at the forefront of world economics, really, for a long period of time. And the birthplace of the first industrial revolution you know, it was at Ironbridge. I was actually up at Ironbridge last weekend. You know, we've been very much at the forefront of the fourth industrial revolution. If there's a fifth industrial revolution, I think we'll be at the forefront of that. It comes back to what does make London great. I mean, it's that innate complex elements of the culture, 
rule of law, language, innovation, talent, diversity, creative energy. I mean, if you sum it up in two words, it's creative energy. Mm. And that's quite difficult to bottle up and replicate. So we need to nurture it and allow it to continue to grow. That's why all the way around the world, when I come back to London, it's that creative energy and we all draw off it. Those are the two standout words from this for me. And, and you're spot on, I think, from Ada Lovelace to Sir Tim Berners-Lee. We have had that creative energy that has allowed us to punch above our weight for centuries. And we have to make sure that we keep that alive. Yep. So thank you. Thank you also to your extremely talented and extremely helpful team for pulling this together. And Lord Mayor, please do know that Motive Partners are here to help however we can. So don't be shy to draw down on us. And thank you very much for doing this. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sam. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of Motive Partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Motive Partners. Motive Partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.